once again. This is the show for December the 8th, the Soccer OG World Cup Daily. Hope you enjoyed your two days away from all the action. We do have games tomorrow, quarterfinal games. Two-day gap just right. We needed to refresh, and we got two days to build up four incredible games. Can't wait for it because, look, let's face it, at the beginning of the tournament, you these games are just flying at you. You're like, whoa, slow down. Four games a day, oh my. Uh, you can't grasp it. You can't remember everything that happened. But this is how it's supposed to feel. You're building up these games. You can hear from the managers. We can all focus on this. This is the good stuff. The quarterfinals uh, are going to be fantastic. We will preview the games for Friday here shortly. Before we get to that, a reminder that the Soccer OG World Cup Daily Podcast, available where all podcasts are available. You can see the video form here on YouTube. Check out all my social media handles. We'd love to uh, talk about the games. We, in addition to previewing the Friday games, have a very special guest, Christopher Sullivan, former broadcast partner. He, will t- he is on the ground in Doha working for Be In Sports. We'll get his ideas about the Qatari World Cup and what has stood out for him. Uh, he's uh, very cerebral with regards to football and has a great eye for what is happening. So stick around for that. You will enjoy it. We'll talk a little bit about that USA-Netherlands game. He's, he, he has a couple thoughts that we haven't really touched on which I found very interesting. So check out that a little bit. Like and subscribe. Hit that thumbs up. Like and subscribe as we continue on here uh, towards the... We still have like a week and a half of this. So a lot uh, to look forward to. And um, we are presented by Farmer John. I'd like to uh, say hello to our sponsors. who have been fantastic throughout this competition. Uh, Make sure you start off the day with a wonderful breakfast featuring the very good Farmer John products, of which there are several, and they all are exceptional. I'm getting hungry when I'm just talking about it. Before we get into the World Cup games, a little bit of a pivot, because some news, not really breaking, about the 2024 Copa America, reports that the USA, Mexico, and Canada will participate, and that potentially the US will host. I said a couple days, and uh, one of my tweets kind of went through the roof there, because I said my sources are saying it's it was a done deal. I'm talking to a lot of people involved on the business side, and they're saying the preparations are going on. They still have to work on a few things, obviously. We heard from Victor Montagliani, who uh, heads Comebol, and kind of uh, broke it down here. Um, and maybe it doesn't happen, but it would be crazy if it didn't, because Comebol needs CONCACAF, USA and Mexico specifically, and uh, vice versa. you would hope there would be an opportunity where the the Americas could be under one umbrella, especially in World Cup expansion where enough teams will qualify. You can be creative with qualifying, etc. But uh, it's stronger together. And Comebol can't compete with UEFA. CONCACAF can't compete with UEFA. Africa, Asia, none of them can compete. If you look at college football, if you can't beat them, join them. You know, USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten. Texas and Oklahoma joining the SEC. That's what works in sports. You make stronger. It's like King Lear. Remember in King Lear when he, his three sons wanted to go the separate ways and he, they put three... This is actually Ron, the, the Japanese version of King Lear. And they put the three arrows together and you couldn't break them. But individually you could. So uh, that is certainly something to look uh, ahead to in 2024. I want to start with Victor Montagliani who said, all I have to say is this is speculation. There is a bit of some misinformation around some of these tournaments. Uh, He didn't denounce the reports, 
Uh, but he said it's really not the jurisdiction of a federation or league to have these discussions. So many things have to fall into place, but we know what's what. It, certainly the, the, the road is being cleared. Ecuador was going to be the host in 2024. They will no longer do it. So they're on the clock. And Montagliani says that they're going to need to make a decision early in 2023. I will say this, and I cover South American football and I cover the Libertadores and the Copa Sudamericana and the Copa America. South, no one wants to host these events. Uh, logistically, it's a mess. And during the pandemic, and this is what we saw in the last Copa America, where the Brazil and Argentina and everyone else played in empty stadiums, they were way behind in dealing with COVID, that they had to deal with that. Uh, the Copa Libertadores from this past year with Flamengo and Atlético Paranense was in Guayaquil. They had difficulty selling tickets and there were no direct flights from Sao Paulo or I for name the town, which is right next to Sao Paulo, where a Paranense is from. There were no direct flights to Guayaquil. So it's not very well connected. Logistics are a problem. Stadiums are a problem. Interest is a problem. There have been uh, almost 50 editions of the Copa America. So ramping up for this is a little bit harder. It needs a jolt. It is the oldest tournament. It's 106 years old. It's much older than the World Cup. Uh, and You've had some great moments and some great players and some great finals, but uh, it's time to evolve a little bit. And I know Comebol doesn't want all of CONCACAF, but they would like USA and Mexico. Canada, to a lesser degree, are coming up. It should be, uh, it should be interesting to see how that plays out, but Canada makes this even more appealing. This is obviously would be good for the United States to get a big tournament ahead of the World Cup. And if Ecuador is not going to host it, it would appear that the USA will. Part of the issue when the USA hosted in 2016 is uh, CONCACAF got a lot of the money. Comeval wants a bigger piece of the pie. But you have everything in place. And obviously in the United States, you would like some sort of dress rehearsal for the World Cup. To tell you what we were discussing. So um, Mexico has played in 10 Copa America. So this isn't a, a new phenomenon, but they've gone down there to play. Um, the United States has played in, uh, four and there was the famous one, the Centenario in 2016. The United States actually, um, in their previous editions, it was in the nineties in 1995, they beat Argentina, lost to Brazil in the semifinals. They, other than that, they had a couple editions which didn't go so well. 2016 in U.S., in the United States, they made the semifinals. They were in a group. They lost to Colombia. They beat Costa Rica. They beat Paraguay. And the U.S. won the group. Then the, they, they advanced into the, the semifinals where they would get pasted by Lionel Messi in Argentina. Argentina would lose to Chile, uh, who also beat Mexico 7, was it 7-1 or 7-0 seven, seven, seven in the quarterfinals. USA beat Ecuador in the quarters. So um, that was a huge success, and 2024 would, be with, would help really build that World Cup. Both these organizations have to scratch each other's back, though, right? And what is the, uh, what is the end game when we, we, we talk about uh, the Americas? Brazil and Argentina are the two big names. Uh, in recent years, the rest of South America has dipped. Colombia and Uruguay would be the next two, but Uruguay obviously had their issues in the World Cup. Colombia didn't qualify. Peru didn't get out of the playoffs. Ecuador's young and looks good, but that's still a burgeoning power. Ecuador is one of the few bright spots in South America. Paraguay's kind of gone flat. 
Bolivia just doesn't have it. They play at altitude. They've never really had a great national team. They made one World Cup. Venezuela plays more baseball. They're getting better at soccer. They've never qualified for a World Cup. Chile had that great golden generation, but has disappeared ever since. And once you look at it that way, the 10 members of Comebol need help. If it was those 10 in USA, Mexico, you got a super region, but you got to take the others as well. And the 2024 would be USA, Mexico, Canada, and three more members of CONCACAF. Back in 2016, those were Costa Rica, didn't have Canada. This would be Canada's first appearance. Costa Rica, Jamaica, Panama, and Haiti joining the USA and Mexico. And um, that's a good tournament. 16 teams is the right. 12 teams or 10 teams like they used to have, just, just not good, where you play... 12 teams to knock out four in the group stages. Those group stage games don't carry weight. You need 16 teams at the very least. So uh, I don't know if it's going to change it moving forward after 2024. And I know people want this to be a launch pad for playing uh, Copa Libertadores. That's a different situation. The Libertadores are the clubs where they'd want Liga MX and MLS teams to participate. Uh, those are long trips down to Argentina, Chile, and we document them, those in other shows. We will, uh, we, will, we will wait on that. We will wait on the Copa Libertadores. I don't see that happening. But the Copa America, again, how do these organizations share the pot? That's the hard part. Everybody wants their money, and that, is, that could make this collapse. But they have to know that they need each other. And that's the beautiful thing about this relationship. They both need each other. USA, Mexico needs Brazil and Argentina. And obviously all those other countries raise the standard. And Comebol needs USA, Mexico money, logistics, all of that. TV, uh, they don't have that in South America. I've been, again, I've been watching and it's been a struggle. Brazil's doing well, national team and the club level. Other than that, the club levels, these clubs are struggling. Mainly Argentina. I mean, there's Argentina constantly in financial woe can't seem to get out of it to be in a situation where they can have a lucrative league, uh, a solvent league. It's just not happening. So 2024, Copa America, sounds great. I believe everything I've heard, it's going to happen. And we look forward to seeing that again because we love 2016. And now this should be even better with the United States coming up. You would hope Mexico is not going to lose seven zip to uh, Chile and then Canada as well and whoever else comes through there. You still get your gold cups, and then it all works. South America needs it too, man. This is not USA going, help us. It's not. Comebol needs help too. Unless Brazil and Argentina want to join the Nations League, which USA and Mexico should try and do. Just got to remind yourself, USA and Mexico are desirable in the world picture. All right? Just remember that. By the way, Lionel Messi will probably be retired, but we got to get him involved. He might be in Major League Soccer as well, so that's something to look forward to. Let's get into the games on Friday. We talked about the anticipated Argentina-Brazil game that we could have in the semifinals. I don't think we're going to see it. That's why I talked about it yesterday. I hope we see it, but I think these are going to be two very hard games. We'll start with Brazil. They take on Croatia. I want to mention uh, we feel like there's not enough surprise candidates in uh, the in the World Cup, but there are four teams that have never won a World Cup. You know, World Cups, very few have won it. Brazil, Germany, Italy, Argentina, Uruguay, 
Spain, France, eight teams, uh, uh, I think, have won it. And Netherlands haven't won it. So that's a short list. So half of the field have a shot here. Brazil have won it five times. Uh, they're coming off their best result against Korea. Really a great first half. I would tend to think that they pulled the Wolves off in the second half. So all those people talking about Brazil dancing and Chiche had to discuss. He, people wanted him to apologize for the dancing. He says, I'm not going to do that. He shouldn't have to do it. Uh, he's calling this the toughest hurdle yet. And for me, if you look at the most consistent teams, and consistency is good in a World Cup, Brazil's not one of them because they lost to Cameroon. Granted, that was the, the reserves. But even against Serbia, we didn't, we, they've been good defensively, but they've been spotty in attack. They had the good half offensively against Korea. And I would say, as I said a couple days ago, Korea were never going to compete in that. They were drained from the Ghana game and then the Portugal game. There was, they had no shot. They were going in there, lambs to slaughter. They, this was a perfect opponent for Brazil. But if you look at the most consistent teams, we're going to talk about two of them here. You have France, England. We'll see them on Saturday. And France did lose to Tunisia. But other than that, they have, they've looked, the games have cast a similar uh, role. England, untouched in the groups, tied the U.S., but consistent looking forward. Then you have Croatia, who beat the Canadians, tied Belgium, uh, tied Morocco. That result's looking a lot better. And then beat Japan in penalties. And then the Netherlands, who uh, we'll talk about here in a moment. This is the third quarterfinal in a World Cup for Croatia. Truly remarkable. Zlatko Dalic saying... Uh, the manager, if we play wide, we'll have great problems. We know that. So they're going to play compact. They've got great defenders. We have talked about Guardiol ad, ad nauseum. And again, they don't give up goals. This is going to be tough for Brazil. They have, Again, they've got to show offensive consistency. I want Casemiro and Lucas Paqueta in that midfield to get that offense going. I tend to think that, that uh, it should... It should, continue, should continue offensively, but then again, it's one half. One good offensive half. Uh, beautiful team goals, that's a positive here. And Brazil, look, these, this is where they go sideways. They've lost in the quarters in 2018. They lost in the quarters in 2010. And I, it was 2006 too, right? Yeah. Um, and then they, uh, they lost in the semis when they hosted it. So this is where they go flat. And they have struggled against good European teams. Since beating Germany in the 2002 final, Brazil has lost each of their last five knockout games against Europeans. This is a very good European team. Luka Modric is going to have to find some spots. If they don't concede early, Brazil's going to get frustrated. This is going to be a grind. Croatia is going to be able to dictate their terms. And I love how they came back against Japan. Brazil wins this game. But it is going to be very, very tight. 2-1 uh, will be my score. Let's now move on to Netherlands and Argentina. Uh, some interesting stuff coming out of the Argentine camp. Before I get on there, I talked about the Netherlands being a consistent team. They have never trailed in this competition. Have they looked remarkable? No. But man, they just plug along. They tied Ecuador. That was their one setback. But they were, they were clinical against the United States. Qatar, and Senegal. Have they played uh, elite teams? No. This is far and away the best team they have played. Um, 
There are so many peculiar things about this team that I just don't get. The roster, we, we say Netherlands, we see those orange shirts and we're like, whoa, this is a fantastic team. It's the Netherlands. But remember, they didn't qualify for the World Cup. And keep in mind, some of these players, you know, Daley Blind and David Klaassen, not playing all the time for Ajax. Memphis Depay, not playing all the time for Barcelona. Cody Hakbo, he's been tremendous, but he's just coming into view. He plays in the Dutch League. This is not the Wesley Snyder, Van Persie, Van de Vaart, uh, Arjun Robin Dutch team. They are very short on stars. Their best player is their center back, Virgil van Dijk, who has been exceptional. Uh, Denzel Dumfries has been as well. But this team doesn't wow you, but they play so well collectively. This is also uh, Louis van Gaal, who is the biggest star for the Dutch. And I think Frankie de Jong is going to play a big role here. But Louis van Gaal, this is a storyline I would love to see happen. He, he's tried before with his Dutch team in 2014. Battled cancer m multiple times. And now here he is with a chance. He said this team was as good as 2014. I still disagree with him. This is his handiwork. He has been innovative. He has been clever. And he has outsmarted and outcoached others. And he, I mean, he is still an absolute Cadillac. Uh, and the best manager right now in this competition, even at the age of 71. This is, uh, he also had an interesting interaction with the press. He was the coach at Manchester United. And he had Angel Di Maria, who we hear may not play for Argentina. But he had Angel Di Maria on that squad. And in that, um, in that game, or during that time at Manchester United, Di Maria says, I don't, uh, my problem at Manchester was the coach, Van Hal. He was the worst of my career. So that was brought up to Van Hal. He says, I don't like it that he said it, but he says the two get along well. But if we don't see Di Maria, how will they look? By the way, Raphael van der Vaart, one of those Dutch legends, was asked about this game. He says they're going to hammer Argentina, the Netherlands. Three zip. They will, the players around Messi are not so great. Hmm. So let's talk about Argentina. Uh, Rodrigo de Paul, there were some concerns about his health. He trained and his social media said he is going to play. There was a closed door training and some... Argentine media came up to Lionel Scaloni and said, what's the condition of Rodrigo de Paul? And he goes, it was a closed door training. He trained. How do you know there's something wrong with him? And accused them of trying to get intel for the Dutch. So it was a little odd. Uh, but then again, yeah, if you're, if you're an Argentine media, zip it. Zip it. As for the talent around Messi, is it that great? I mean, it's better than what the Dutch have. But Julian Alvarez and Enzo Fernandez are great, uh, but they're young. Uh, Angel Di Maria, if he doesn't go, Rodrigo de Paul is a really hardworking midfield in Paredes and some of the uh, and uh, Papu Gomez, but you know, no, not these are not. Woo, these aren't like the Batistuta. Uh, I can't remember all the Argentine players. These legendary Argentine teams who sometimes failed. This is still a lot about Lionel Messi. They put him in good positions to win and. I think this Argentina team will really struggle with this. I like the Dutch to win it. It's going to be tight. Let's say 2-1 as well. Netherlands and Brazil will meet in the semifinal. I hope I'm wrong about that because I want to see Brazil-Argentina. The Soccer OG World Cup Daily. Check us out in podcasts where all podcasts are available. Check us out here 
on uh, YouTube. Coming up, my interview with Christopher Sullivan. We talk all things Qatar World Cup. We roll on. We are back now with our very special guest. You know him, you love him. My former on-air partner. He is now working with Bein Sport in Doha. Uh, where are you right now, Christopher Sullivan? It looks beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful right here. Uh, Royal Meridian across the street from the Waldorf Astoria. One of my our good friends who's the general manager there, um, Christoph Franzen. He was the one who ran the height when I was there the last two times. And here at this hotel, this is the Royal Meridian. You could see daily Alessandro Del Piero, Rude Hulitu, you know, um, Gary Neville, everyone staying here. And then they play Pado every morning at about 10 o'clock. They go over there. and It's like a who's who. Gabriel Omar, Batistuta, one of your favorites. Oh, so it's been great. I was talking about him yesterday. I was talking about him Are yesterday. You really? Yeah, I'll tell you why yeah, in a second. You'd I'll love him. I'll yeah. tell you why in a second, because you're going to like this question. But um, for those who are listening on the audio format, you're not going to see it. Christopher is in a beautiful suit with his... The, uh, the downtown Doha skyline behind him and he's really enjoying the coverage and look we uh, we were always concerned about the uh, Qatar host committee but uh, how's it gone for you guys covering it there as we have gotten into the tournament yeah it's been a it's been amazing uh, it's not my first time in Qatar it's my third time so I think that helped a lot um, getting acclimatized and and the way that being sport does it I know you'd appreciate it because in my eyes you're one of the best that we have in our country as a as a commentator and a host and they pick the best of the best they're all uh, except for myself they're all legends you know and and it's just great to be able to contribute and add a little bit of knowledge and and um, help out and I think being sport has a unique format because they they really allow you to speak and analyze and talk and uh, so it's very it's very fluid the conversations you know I was talking to Jürgen Klinsmann yesterday where we're exchanging messages and he said, Sully, I've been watching you a lot, you know, such a great job and everything, which was really great. I mean, it means oh, yeah. the world, but it's, it's, it. I'm with Nigel de Young, you're with Rude Will and Andy Gray, obviously, who's one of the, the top of all time. And, and you could be at a table with any one of those legends, you know, Batistuta, Del Piero. Um, so it's been, it's been incredible to. So, well, Christopher, let me and also hear their insight as well. Sorry. Let me ask you about that because it's in, in yeah. Doha. I mean, it really is a Doha World Cup and you walk around, you'll see all these people and you can have conversations yes. in the streets. So you've, have you ever, that's, that's uh, unlike any tournament it, uh, previously, because we see the videos, you'll see someone walking down the street, yeah. they run into this person and that's every day. That's the correct, yeah, that's the uniqueness of it. You know, the other night I was with Arsene Wenger for 15, 20 minutes. Gilberto Silva was here for a <laughs> while. but <laughs> You're dropping some names, Sully. That's a, incredible, but that's how this World Cup is. It really is. It's incredible. And, and the humility of some of the world stars. For me, Rude Bullet is the best because he always be like, Sully, come up and give big hugs. And you wouldn't know that he was the best player in the world. He always makes time for everyone. He's fun. You know, he, he has fun with it. You know, he, so he, he loves to tell stories as well. Have yeah. I told you my Rude Bullet story? Or do I, I may have to remind you. Have you, you I, yeah, no, no, you have to okay. tell me. All right. So we're working at ESPN. And he is one of the analysts. This was for maybe the 2010 World Cup. I can't remember. Yes. And I met him right. before. He, he came up. That. He came up to me, and I, I go, "Hey, Rude, we're going to do a hit. I'm going to ask you yeah. about this. This. How do you want me to pronounce your last name, Hulit?" He goes, "It doesn't matter." I go, "No, no, no. Seriously, I want to pronounce it right. Hulit, uh, Julit, Gullet." He goes, 
it doesn't matter. And I go, wait, <laughs> I tried to pronounce it as badly as possible. He kept saying, it doesn't matter. And I was like, really, at the end, I said, Ruth Hulet, because I figured that was the right way. But I wanted to hear it from him. And he said, don't care. Say whatever you want. <laughs> I loved it. That's a funny story. He's, you know, he's, there's so many funny stories. I can tell you about Ruth in particular, but he's so great. And I, I think early on, Gary Neville was here and they wanted to, you know, many people said, oh, if Ruth had been there, he kind of lightens up the set, right? Because one, he, he's, he is who he is and he has that presence. So it's just great when you can get a conversation flowing. And uh, I, I feel, I always feel comfortable here. I'm really appreciated by being sports. And it's been amazing. And the tournament's been great. I heard one of your comments earlier that, or one of your tweets, that it's the best uh, early rounds in any yeah. tournament that we've seen. What's, and what's been seeing... a highlight What's been a highlight from you for the games? What's been a highlight from these games that you've, uh, that stood out and said that was very special? Yeah, well, when you see Saudi Arabia, teams from this side of the world, um, playing with their fans, you know, playing with the support of their fans. And, and we've seen that the gulf of difference in quality is no longer that those big margins that we've seen in the past. When you say that teams, you know, you can't overlook a team. And we, we saw that with Japan and Germany out of the gates and also against Spain. The surprise for me was when Japan had went ahead and beat Germany and then lost to Costa Rica. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, que pasó con esto? And then the other thing is Richarlison playing in a different position than where he plays in his club. And, um, you know, just the, I think we're seeing a renaissance of Brazil kind of you know, throw back to 82 and 86, the quality of players, not, you know, that panache to their, to their football. You know, they're doing it in style. They're enjoying it. They're transmitting energy and fantasy to each other on the field which is uh, really exciting to see. So France, obviously, with Kylian Mbappé, who's even improved from four years ago. Yeah. And, um, you know, the Holland, the Dutch, that was kind of outplayed when you think of the body of work from the United States, but they were so clinical and the way that they were able to, you know, Frankie de Jong had had 20, 26 splitting passes up to that point, the highest of the tournament, and Memphis Depay showing the quality that he has for his country. And Dumfries as well, you know, it was... It was uh, Who's, who's been killer on that wide position. So I think it's going to make for a real interesting, intriguing matchup between Argentina and, and Netherlands. And, well, you mentioned the Netherlands, but before I spin it forward, because I want to ask you a question about the knockouts. As a former U.S. international 1990 World Cup veteran, looking at what this U.S. team did, how would you rate it? How would you, uh, how would you rate the performance? I thought it was very impressive in the early rounds. You know, I think that the team was well-prepared. They were optimized, you know, uh, looked different than how they were leading up in the friendlies. Obviously, I think that that lowered the expectations for anyone that was watching the match against Japan and Saudi Arabia. And um, I think that they came, they played extremely unlucky not to get the, the initial victory, but they, against Wales, they played a really good first half. And then against England, I was very impressed with the way that they played. You know, we didn't have anyone really to finish. And then that final game against the Netherlands, I was disappointed, quite honestly, because I thought that we had the players to, to play toe-to-toe -to -toe with them. And there was a few decisions I wasn't uh, pleased with. You know? Yeah, I which one? With the I, tactics? Yeah, I would have liked to see Aronson in there, Gio Reyna, and you could have played uh, Christian Pulisic as a as a false as a false nine because that's the way that they were playing Jesus Ferreira and you know he was coming back not to knock him but I don't think that he was ready for the occasion yeah with two players that we thought that were in form and then the Zimmerman move was fine 
because he started out of the gates, you know, but again, it was just kind of chopping and changing in a way. And you kind of scratch your hand and head and defensively. Um, we got a lesson there yeah. defensively. Well, look, and it's, we forget that. And I don't know if I mentioned it, but to tell Jesus Ferreira to come into the world cup for the first time in a round of 16 game, where you have to engage Virgil van Dyke, who some say is the best defender in the world. It sounds like an unwinnable position. I, I would, and that's probably why you bring in guys that have already had some games and you maybe put Polisic there who has had confidence. Yeah. We saw that, but I just think but about Pulisic, that situation for data. That's really tough. Yeah. And, and Polisic has a different dynamic than Fereira. And he's coming deep and he's pulling players and you have Wea in behind, right? Uh, or from the left side as well. I think, you know, let's say Aronson, Aronson way is coming from the left or Aronson's coming from the left or Gio Reyna. I mean, that's a trifecta that's very dangerous. And, and you could see the thinking like, hey, he picks up the ball. They don't go with him, right? He's coming at you and he's making things happen. And that's what I think actually Christian Pulisic's best attribute is, his best quality. And when he's going in that, like, Kakpo as well, when he's going in the middle, or we see Jude Bellingham, who might be the player of the tournament, you know, behind Mbappe, that type of quality is hard to find in world football today. And, and I think that we didn't utilize that there. But having said that, I know that we're thinking, where do we go from now? It's very good for the United States. In my opinion, I'm proud of the boys. The midfield was phenomenal. I thought they played pretty well against I don't think that they were playing first-time angle balls with conviction and confidence out of the midfield in that particular game. And, and um, Louis Van Hall did a great job. It was a master stroke the way that he played him. You know, he still got he it. Backed off, gave him the space and hit him. He really does. Yeah. He still got it. Um, we don't know if Pulisic with Wea and Reyna would have worked, but it couldn't have been worse in that right. first half. And I think there's, Correct. I think there's, that's probably a, there, that is a misstep from Berhalter. I defend him a lot, but that's a misstep because I think putting Vereda there was just an unwinnable situation. You could see it, it was etched Absolutely. on his face. He looked like nervous. Right and I, yeah. And I think everyone in our country was thinking, well, if you can put Gio Reyna in the 46th minute, why can't you start them in the first, you know, in that, in that match, why can't you not? And uh, you know, why wouldn't you do that? So that's what I was thinking. And I think Brendan Aronson, you know, obviously four years from now, his brother might be in the team as well. So yeah. we, we have under 20 players, yeah, that are coming through. And, um, you know, I'd like to see that we move to the next level. And we've shown that, hey, that, hey, you got to give credit to other teams in the world that are showing that the margins are much smaller now. There's no gulf of, of difference between the top 32 in this, in this uh, World Cup. Now, if we go to 48, it's going to be different. You're adding 18, 18 more countries. <laughs> that's a lot so hey i just want to ask you because you you said mbappe's been the best you said jude bellingham only mbappe's been better and people are saying who their best performers are and my right. list is three it's mbappe one bellingham two and then akimi uh hakimi three those are the guys that i think every time they came on and i know people go hey Lionel messi and he charlie son and these guys scoring they've all been yeah. great and marcus rashford but to me those three have made the biggest difference yeah i'd agree i'd agree with that you know, we, we just did a best 11 in our hour show right now, which was a review, not yet a preview show. We'll do that tomorrow um, before the kickoff. And um, yeah, I would say those two. I think that Gakpo is special. Yeah. I think he's got yeah. a little something that Patrick Clivert had and Rudu and Marco Van Basten and the Bearcamp. He has something because the, the goals that he did score, Max, were in huge moments. They were in the important moments in the match. So and he kind of glides and floats in a way. He uh, he's very graceful in the open field. So I think that he, his ceiling is extremely high. Yeah. Yep. 
and don't don't forget uh, Ramos. You know, Gonzalo Ramos, this young kid. Yeah, now just every, one game, but what a game! What a game it was. Okay, I asked a question yesterday, and I didn't even say it was questionable because we have the quarterfinals. But I want to get your thoughts. I said yeah. if Argentina beats the Netherlands and Brazil beats Croatia, the semifinal between Argentina and Brazil will be the biggest hyped, biggest World Cup game. I don't know if it'll be the, after they play it, but going into it, there is no game. I've, I've looked at finals. I looked at 1990 Argentina-England. I looked at nothing can compare to this, correct? Other than maybe Ronaldo Messi. 1990, 1990 Argentina played Brazil, remember? Right. And, and around the state. Oh, I mean, Brazil. 1986, Argentina, England, but 1990, Argentina, Brazil, which was the, uh, but it didn't have the, I mean, it had Maradona. That was the one where Maradona was injured playing in there and he slipped through like a uh, man. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, no, no. I, I think you're right. This match uh, would be an iconic, epic match between two of the best teams in the world. I, I, I think sadly, Argentina doesn't have Diego, uh, Messi, Lionel Messi doesn't have players like, Raquel Meaimar, um, yeah. Ortega, the Alessandro. He doesn't have those or Veron, La Bruja Veron. They don't have he doesn't have those creative Mascherano, All those guys he is yeah, well. Mascherano is more functional. That's what Rodrigo de Paul plays that. I, I like Enzo Fernandez. You know, I know you love the River Boys. And Julian Alvarez is really good as well. But it's not a team. I've watched them live. I, the one cool thing is that I've gone to so many games live when we're not in studio. And um Brazil has something a little different. They have an X factor. Sully, I know it's late there, man. I appreciate you jumping on here. Let's uh, no worries. Let's um, let's revisit this uh, pretty soon and have a good night. You look like a million bucks. Thanks, my man. Always good to talk to you. And hello Hi, to all the fans back home, all your fans. Thanks, brother. Soccer OG World Cup Daily. Christopher Sullen being there in Doha. We'll be back tomorrow. We got games to cover. We'll see you then. Have a good night, Sully. Take care, bro. All Ciao. right, brother.